We are a community that loves like Jesus. And my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you. Not just today, but every time you tune in. Today is our Sabbath Sunday, and it is a normal rhythm for us where we take a break from our in-person gathering one time per month, and we do online only. So today's sermon is online only, and it's another spiritual discipline, which is a break from our normal series, and it's called Celebration. Well, today as we enter into this discipline of celebration, my hope is that your soul would be transformed. My wife has sometimes a thing where she says, how's your soul? And many of us would probably respond to her and say, I'm not sure. I don't know how my soul is. Well, I hope that through a practice of soul regeneration or a practice of spiritual discipline, a sacred practice actually, that your soul would be renewed. And that renewal would be a recreation or a creation maybe of spirituality in your life and maybe even a relationship with Jesus. So in this idea where heaven comes crashing to earth with Jesus and his sacrifice, we have nothing else really to respond to that besides to celebrate. And as we stand before God and we worship and he promises us that our sins are covered and the water washes the sin and it's still and we're declared saints, we can't help but celebrate. So I read this in Revelation 19, which many of us have heard before and and I've preached on this Revelation 19 before where Jesus and the redemption deserves our celebration. It goes like this in Revelation 19, 6, Then I heard what seems to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty pearls of thunder crying out, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It is It was granted her to clothe herself with the fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. So Revelation 19 talks about this marriage of the lamb, that we now have a relationship that's filled with redemption and forgiveness and promises us eternity. Well, there's there's lots of cool worship songs out there that talk about the gift of this relationship that God gives us. And that that incites us to praise. It, it generates praise, and God is worthy of praise. Well, one thing that we do each and every week during our worship gatherings, and we promote and encourage that you do this online as well, is that we take communion. And one of the interesting things about communion that many of us think is maybe sometimes for you just a time of reflection, or maybe it has a supplicate or I'm sorry type for my sins. I'm, I, please forgive me for my sins reason for taking it. Well, sometimes there's time for that, but yet much behind communion that we miss sometimes because we think it's supposed to look like or be a certain way is communion sometimes is missed as a proclamation. It's missed as a celebration of the gospel, as Paul would say, proclaim Jesus every time you take communion. That proclamation means to claim his life. Claim his death, claim his burial, and claim the resurrection as we partake of the bread and 
the vine, the, 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 the fruit of the vine, we proclaim that we are saved. We proclaim that we have community. We proclaim that we are forgiven and get to live for eternity. Well, when I would travel and have traveled in South Central and South America, their depictions below the equator are much different of the Eucharist or the, this, this Last Supper or communion. Their, their depictions are much more celebratory than our, let's say, Da Vinci Euro version. The Da Vinci Euro version is all the disciples and Jesus in a line kind of sitting at a table. But in a South American version, it's much more community oriented. And if you look at this picture that I'm going to put up right now, you will see that it's in the round. There's a togetherness about this painting that we really don't see in others. It's basically in a circle and outside that circle, in the circle you see the disciples and Jesus, but outside that circle you see women and children and other people, all their followers gathered there. There's a sense of community. There's a sense of party. There's a sense of feasting. There's a sense of celebration of the Lord. So we call this the Lord's Supper or an informal family meal. Uh, sometimes we call this communion, which means community or gathering. Or sometimes we call it the Eucharist, which is the Greek word for meaning that means thankful or giving thanks. So even the words we use of this in the round or the celebratory feast, even the words we use mean party or gathering celebration. So I want to use the sacred meal as a metaphor for the spiritual discipline of celebration. Now, I've helped in different kinds of services of different traditions in Christianity, and some traditions use one-cup communion. And I remember every time I've participated in one-cup communion, it's very formal. It's a silver chalice, and then a silver cloth wipes the lip marks as people partake. Lipstick took a little more effort. As, and, and so I, as I reflect back on this moment that, that a group of people becomes a, and they're stitched together as a closer community as they take a common cup. And this common partaking of the same sacrifice with the same purpose and the same celebratory themes we all took and have taken communion uh, in such a way, or maybe you do that as a family, you can do it as a one-cup communion as a family. You can partake that way as well, and that stitches us together in this common idea of celebration. And what's very sacred about and very special about this meal is it, it communion is it's always the same. It might be different in a little bit here and there, but it's always the same, but definitely the experience is different each time. It's a spiritual experience that is very sacred for each one of us and different for each one of us, and that makes it very special. So using this metaphor of communion or the Eucharisteo or the, the Last Supper, number one, all spiritual disciplines come with practice. We have to practice 
the idea of celebration. Just like communion, we take it every week. We practice this idea every week. We need to practice the idea of giving praise and thanks definitely all the time. Now, coming out and healing from this moment is like right now, mask mandates are lifted and restrictions are lifted in, in our state of Oregon here. Finally, just this last week, we experienced a full lifting on restaurants and full capacity now and all these wonderful things that we can be together because we've crossed this, mo this, this line of, of, of a certain percentage being vaccinated in our state. I would have to say that, that now we, we more than ever need to practice and, and put into rhythm praise and thanks. Praise and thanks gives healing to our souls, healing to our minds, our psychology. Uh, it, gives us, it gives us the healing moments that we need to, to promote our lives forward and to help us to make progress in our goals and in our mission in life. So we need to practice praise and thanks. So in Acts 27, excuse me, Acts 20 verse 7 it says on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. So they broke bread, they celebrated with feast and gathering around a table and eating together on a regular basis and practicing such a thing is so important. And it is very important more than ever now in our community as a whole. And so that's why we're doing community barbecue on our Sabbath Sunday where we gather people and it's now turning into potluck. Uh, so you bring a dish and share and, and we're, we're learning to trust one another again. We're learning to enter into that space of community where we can be in that space and learn to be together again. And I look forward so much to connecting with people in a, in a very uh, in a very open way and respecting one another and learning respect again in just relationships. So communion is, uh, is one of the two things that stayed consistent in the church since Jesus. Baptism and communion, that's why they're called the ordinances of the church. It might have changed modes, but it is offered consistently in church history since the beginning. It was done with practice. It practiced community. So gathering together around the table, around the feast, the Lord's Supper, when they met, they focused on Jesus and they did the same thing over and over again, being together to partake in the sacred nature of communion. So it's, it's not just bread and juice. It's not just the, the distribution of these elements. It's the togetherness that we experience as a body as well. So communion is all about the body. It basically, Jesus talks about, eat my flesh and drink my blood. So communion is the elements, the emblems, the representation of Jesus's actual body. But communion actually moves our body from one position, and we take we take communion where we we don't sit, and communion is passed to us. We actually get up in the room and move about the room. And so, with our communion, it moves our body, but it also moves our spirit from a stationary place 
to praise. It takes us from business as usual to mystery and even abnormality where we have to identify with different things. We identify with success. We identify with progress all through the week. We identify with with goals, meeting goals, and making money, and 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 being with family, and family time, and and entering into like being super mom and super dad, you know, all through the week. That's what we identify with Monday through Saturday, let's say, and and on Sunday, on Sunday morning during communion, it is one time where we identify with suffering. It's one time where where we identify with death. It's one time where we identify with execution, you know, on the cross. That's what, that's what communion has as an undercurrent where we're identifying with such things. Yet in the mystery and the abnormality of de- identifying with such things, it's also the spiritual life that we're identifying with. It's, it's spiritual healing that we're identifying with. It's, it's spiritual eternity that we're identifying with. So there's, there's lots of identification when it comes to, it's, it's, it comes to, when it comes to communion. There's lots of identification that we are participating in. There's a famous author that said this, this practice is meant to connect you with what is deeply alive to stir you in the same kind of aliveness that the disciples of Jesus must have felt around him. It is meant to connect us with a world much older than ourselves, something that is recreated and made new by our participation. So basically, we are bringing forward the gospel. We're bringing forward in communion, we're bringing forward the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to a current moment. So in Luke 22, starting in verse 14, and when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat not eat it until it is it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he gave thanks, he said, take this cup and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and, he, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it, gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In verse 20, and likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So that is the picture of communion that that we have, and that comes, the celebration discipline comes with practice, but it also comes with waiting. And when you when you uh, think about celebration, nothing that is worth anything is is easy and comes with just ease, right? So things that are worth something come with waiting and many times with difficulty. And so communion is meant to remind us of a place that is invisible in our daily the daily daily lives. It's it's not always visible. And sometimes we even feel like we don't want to go there or sometimes our guilt is so overwhelming and stacked that we struggle even finding ourselves in communion. So there's a time of maybe disconnect. There's a time of maybe separation. There's a time of of waiting when it comes to celebration. 
There's a Sufi Islamic poet named Rumi that says, why is it that we have to be dragged, kicking and screaming into paradise? Well, I would say that a lot of times we have a lot of guilt. A lot of times we have a lot of built up um, shame inside ourselves, And so the baggage we carry sometimes to communion is not filled with clothes. It's, it's filled with the things stuffed in our heads, worry, anxiety, uh, guilt. And many times we have excuses and rationalizations to not even come to church, right? Or not even to participate in such things that we have to now identify with, okay, I need to overcome my guilt and shame. And I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about these things. And so the time of communion is a time of reflection, a time of, of the reminder of that we're waiting for ultimate eternity. Father, forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. It's a time of, it's a time of waiting for eternal life, and it's a reminder of waiting. So in 1 Corinthians 11, for I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Then let the person examine them himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drink without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So there is this idea in communion of discerning and the period of I'll say waiting helps us move from from like lack of discernment to discernment just maybe chaos to order to distraction to attention it moves us from identifying with empire things work and building your own kingdom and job and busyness and all these things in the empire to identifying with the heavens so we're preparing to all week long really we're preparing for the gift we're preparing for the thanks so when we give thanks i believe that that we help others give thanks as well. And that takes time, that takes, that takes waiting, that takes movement, that takes, that takes preparation. And I believe that celebration needs to be thought about deeply, practiced deeply, and prepared for deeply. It's not just something that we do. It's not just something that we stumble into. I think about, I think about the competitions that I have done as an athlete. And this last week, Pastor Jacob and I participated in the Ironman Coeur d'Alene event in Northern Idaho. It took us a very long time to finish that race. And each element of the race was, as my family and friends were on the sidelines watching and clapping and, and cheering us on, when, when those moments happened and we passed by them, 
those cheers were cheers of encouragement to finish. Those cheers were not celebration. Those cheers were, it had a moment of, are they going to make it? Because it was very, very hot, 139 radiating off the pavement on our bicycle event. It was, it was crazy hot, lots of dehydration, lots of heat stroke on the race, lots of DNFs did not finish. Um, we started with 2,086 people and 1,535, which Jake and I were one of those fortunate 1,535 that crossed the line in time and finished the race. And we finished it very well. And I'm proud that we actually did that. Yet every cheer along the way was for encouragement. Then we crossed the buzzer at the 26.2 mile marker on the marathon portion in the end. And that was the end of the race. No one really was at that point. We crossed and heard the beepers go off on our chips that were on our ankles, strapped to our ankles, that notified the officials that we were officially done. And then we had another 0.15 miles before we entered into the chute that celebrated, called our name, that we were cheered down this chute. And it was a metaphor for me that we crossed the line literally alone. There was nobody there at that line, none of our friends, family, but really there was nobody there. Everyone was down at the chute celebrating the, the banner, at, you know, where the banner was and where the music was and everything. We crossed the line and heard the beeps because it was so, so quiet. And then we entered the time of celebration. People waited for us for hours upon hours, waited for us and prepared for that moment where they clapped us across the line. So that's just a metaphor for me that celebration is not just haphazardly done. Celebration happens at a time. And all week long, we need to think about encouraging one another. We need to think about helping one another along the race, along the way, as we see each other in the markets and in the marketplace, encouraging one another with words of affirmation, lifting one another up. And then Sunday, when we gather here together, on Sunday, and we take communion. It is not only a celebration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but it's also a proclamation that we're together, that we are a community, and we celebrate one another's lives. Through the waiting, we encourage, and at that moment, we celebrate. Well, then we have to receive. We receive celebration. And there's where when life gets difficult, because you can talk to me about my sin all day long, but you talk to me about getting nothing, getting something for nothing. That's where celebration block comes in, because I don't like grace. I like, I like sin, suffering, and retribution, right? So giving is always easier than receiving. Yet when somebody when somebody gives you something and you don't like necessarily like to receive it in front of them, that doesn't feel good for the person giving. So we need to learn to be good receivers. And I like watching other people open gifts and such, but it's awkward for me to open gifts and such because I don't like being the center of attention. Well, what's really interesting about communion is you are not 
the center of attention. In, com in communion, in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus, when he says, celebrate this in remembrance of Jesus, Jesus is the center of attention. And, and so goes the gift. The gift giver becomes the center of attention, not the receiver. So whatever you grew up with when it comes to the theology of communion, it displays one thing, the gift of grace. It, it, it displays one thing is the grace giver. And in John 6 and 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of God and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is the true food and my blood is the true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him as the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So, so there is a great fear here that we have, have when we enter the theology of grace and communion. We don't want to say that the Lord's table is magical or sacramental in any way, uh, yet I believe that in a sense, the greater level of grace that is experienced at the table is spiritual. It is sacred. It is, there's something transformative about it. So I would actually push back on the traditional Protestant view of, and I would push back on the Catholic view as well, that I would disagree the saying that this is, you know, just in a memorial for Christ, and we enter into this, Father, forgive me, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner, right? I, and, and that whole idea that communion has to be quiet and in silence and all that, and just a remembering, and also swinging the other way that there's like in a transubstantiate, uh, the, the Catholic version, would be that we take it and there's like some extra coins of grace that we receive, like there's an extra forgiveness, like this, like if we don't take communion, then we're not forgiven, and if we do take communion, that the very act of communion is a, is a, a transubstantiate act of, of forgiveness. Well, I would say that it's a celebratory act that is spiritual and sacred and transformative to us as individuals and a community, and it needs to be done in practice. When we enter the metaphor, we enter the metaphor of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, a metaphor given in these verses to eat the flesh and drink of the blood in our belief, that our belief is so married to our action that the very act of the Eucharist is we are ingesting the life of Christ. When we take communion, we are entering this metaphor of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And it's a time where our belief comes together with, with what we know. Our belief comes together with the gospel of Jesus, that our faith communes with the gift of grace and is a reminder of the throne of Christ and the stillness of the water, like in Revelation, before the angels in heaven. It's a metaphor that creates room in our heart for a greater capacity for his spirit 
to speak. It's the metaphor that reminds us that we are a character in God's narrative and we have a role to play, that the grace bestowed upon us compels us to move forward and to share the mission, share in our mission that Jesus is alive. It's the faith by walking forward that the deeds that we do share the gospel, the good news, the grace, the faith, and the love of Jesus to the world. And we face the world every day we catch anxiety, we catch worry, we catch hurt, we catch habits, we catch hangups. And this is the metaphor that when we enter into the metaphor, we release what is distracting and we receive God's grace and, that, and, and we are attentive to that again. That is what celebrating communion is all about. So the Eucharist in the Greek language, again, is translated as being thanks, thankful, thanksgiving. This act of communion is the celebration of thanks. So when you celebrate a person's special day, you honor them in their life. You're saying thank you for who you are and what you have done and what you do. So it is with communion, you're simply giving thanks. And this this practice then puts aside everything that you have dealt with in the world. And it's that one moment that you practice the sacred the sacred act of saying thank you. So when I look at these elements, these celebratory elements, these elements that are concrete, what are they the reminder of? They're the reminder of the invisible. They're the reminder of the invisible that is manifested in my life to be visible. The love that God had so much for me is shared in the love that I have so much for community. So Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And I wonder if he was sitting around the table in his, and before his crucifixion and death, and he was likening communion to something else besides his death or his resurrection. Was it something different when he was maybe talking openly and nothing was, and I can't prove this because it's not written in the Bible, but, but maybe it, it harkens back to, to like, let's say the, the, the feeding of the 5,000 instead. Is something so small can be so abundant, the bread and the fish, something just so scarce, something that is, is unimaginable. You can't feed thousands of people off of a few pieces of meat and bread. That something so unimaginable can, be, can bless and be imagined. That the metaphor of the Eucharist points us towards love that is such one small event but can become so abundant that it comes out of the baskets like the bread, comes out of the fish, the feed the multitudes by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon tens of thousands upon hundreds of thousands for all of eternity. I wonder if something so small that like that can just show something so big like the love of Christ that he had for the entire world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the idea, the metaphor, the act of communion. Lord, the Eucharist. Lord, today we give thanks. Today we say thank you. Lord, today we celebrate. Lord, as we have waited all week long to get to this moment of the Lord's Supper. Lord, as we've cheered each other and helped each other and encouraged one another, Lord, in this moment, you are the center of attention. 
We're thankful for what you've done, the forgiveness that you give, and the eternity that you promise. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.